Welcome back to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. In today's episode, we have special guest King Singers, and let's just jump right into it. Known as the kings of a cappella, the King Singers are consistently welcomed on the world's greatest stages and are recognized as ambassadors for musical excellence the world over. Alongside two Grammy Awards and Emmy Awards, and a place in Gramophone Magazine's inaugural Hall of Fame. Today, we're joined by Julian Gregory and Jonathan Howard from the King Singers. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hey. Yeah. Great to be here. Okay. So, if you could uh, briefly introduce yourself for you know, our listeners, please. Uh, well, my name is Johnny, Jonathan Howard. I am the bass in the King Singers, and I've been in the group for 10 years. Wow. Wow. And <clears throat> I'm Julian Gregory. Um, I'm the tenor in the group, and I've been in the group. Uh, it's my seventh year now. Six years, really. Okay. <laughs> it's my seventh year. I don't know. How, it depends what. If the glass is half full or half empty, that's the question. Yeah, I could say I'm in my 11th year now as well. Oh, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, so uh, last time that you were in Japan was last year when you came uh, to do your concert to celebrate the new imperial era, Reiwa. Um, so what do you miss about Japan? And what do you imagine when you think about Japan? Like what comes to mind? Well... That beautiful uh, picture of your shoulder, Ariel, is um, <laughs> of some of the things I miss about Japan. So, sakura and Japanese temples. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I also, you know, I, to be honest, you know, for me, it's it's a place of where I associate with family as well. Because uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've visited Japan every year since I was a baby, so it just feels like a sort of an extension of my life um, in a sort of odd kind of way. Uh, but with my King Singers hat on, um, I miss. The uh, you know the amazing concert halls um, that we get the honor of performing in, and the Japanese audiences with their very sort of specific attention in uh, the energy, which is very very focused and concentrated in concert. Um, I miss um, their reaction when we sing Beatles, and um, <laughs> the promoters and the organizers of the concerts who are so diligent and think about every last detail beyond belief. Um, and then just the whole infrastructure of Japan, which allows us to enjoy our time there. So whether it's the punctuality of the, the travel or the, the, the business hotels that you know exactly what you're going to get mm-hmm. every time, sort of almost, you know, um, yeah, copy and paste. Yeah. Uh, it's, just, it's a whole it's a brilliant, um, very special, unique place to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think for me, so I only went to Japan for the first time in 2014. And I think I've been five or six times since then. Um, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think I probably have three favorite things alongside the things that Jules mentioned, which relate to our professional life and touring and mm-hmm. stuff. I think, um, trains are very, very high. <laughs> I think that Japanese trains are just absolutely sensational and I love long train journeys and I love them when they're fast yeah, as well yes. as when they're long. So like mm-hmm. there's, there's everything is good about Japanese train journeys, right from all of the restaurants that you have in mm-hmm. the train stations where you can get all of your packed lunches, your, like your little kind of kaiseki boxes if you want them mm-hmm. to have on the train mm-hmm. before you then go on your journey. I miss those enormously. <laughs> that brings me on to food, which is number two. Um, mm-hmm. I adore kind of all Japanese food, whether it's, you know, full kaiseki meals or mm. kind of essentially Japanese junk food. Um, <laughs> so much so that not being able to go this year, I actually ordered a tamago pan, oh. so like oh. a square frying pan so I could make... <laughs> Japanese omelets at home and I have it in and everything like that you you, so do. I can do it properly. <laughs> it, always, it always amazes me how much sugar you need to put in it in order oh, for it to taste yeah. Better. Okay. So good. Yeah. And then the final thing, I think it's just a Japanese etiquette. Um, oh, hmm. There's so much kind of proprietary and decorum 
in Japan mm. and everyone is so courteous and mm. grateful and thankful. And that's something I appreciate enormously. Mm. And I think it's sort of, it exists in British culture as well, where everyone mm. is sort of very self-effacing, but I think particularly in Japan, everyone's so sincere and that is mm. really touching. I love that. It's amazing. They, you can also get a mini tamago pan if you want one, which is like enough for one person, but it's a rectangle, not a square. Are you posting Do you about, guys know about tamago pans? Yes, I have one as well. And I, I'm really, I'd oh, like to see if, yes. John, Johnny, if you're going to post up some of your tamago pan experiments online. Well, yeah, so it's very, what I find very difficult is the flipping. Ah, yes. Of course, that you have to you have to um, do a very you do very thin layers of omelet, and then yeah. you fold them on top of each other, right, right, right. and then you do another <laughs> layer sort of underneath, and then flip that around. Yes. And I only ever managed to flip each layer twice, oh. so it looks a bit messier than it does on the YouTube videos, where it's like it's as if it's I been know, made right. by like a sculptor. <laughs> it's unbelievably geometric. John has been causing messes wherever he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you know in the next installment we should do a cooking podcast. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I also learned how to make karage, which is one of my favorite things. Oh ever. yes, anyway, that's 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 for episode two. It's quite oh, well, that's for yeah. the next yeah. episode. So I guess yeah, we're dwelling on the topic of what's been yeah. our hobbies during the pandemic. Yes. Oh, I will say that also they sell QP mayonnaise in my local supermarket. Oh, wow. Those, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a <laughs> precious commodity I hear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I guess this brings us nicely to what was your hobby during this pandemic where, you know, there's been this crisis that has engulfed the whole world and in some ways made us one. What has been some of the things that you've been doing during this period, apart from cooking well, karage? <laughs> I, I wish I could make karage. I, I, I should say sort of yeah practice my mum knows how to do it but um <laughs> no uh, i think hobby wise um i've been um well since the restrictions have sort of eased a little bit um i've been enjoying playing a lot of squash which is mm. um, quite a big part of my life maybe two two twice a week probably realistically mm. so i'm playing tonight which is great um i've been getting into my cycling around london um you know because we well johnny and i live quite um centrally in london so mm. um and and before we would have got you know the the um the underground or else the you know taxis whatever to get to places but actually you know being forced to distance um it's been great to cycle a bit um and and that's something that johnny's quite into um and i think generally um yeah outdoors activities um it's been great for that um i've been um practicing the piano um Mm. quite a bit sort of practicing my bach 48 periods and fugues um which is kind of you know just slowly i'm not i'm not as good at piano as say someone like pat who is really really good mm-hmm. um but you know just a sort of slow methodical practice but getting into a lot of sort of um pastimes that i certainly enjoyed when i was younger when i was a teenager perhaps mm-hmm. um which um because of you know the busyness of you know high school and then university and then obviously life um <laughs> that sometimes get left behind um it's been a great opportunity for us particularly with our normal very hectic touring routine of not ever not really feeling grounded at home um to actually finally you know enjoy putting the anchor down and um kind of yeah sort of settling down a little bit so it's been so yeah i've been really trying to make the most of you know, the positives of uh, of, of lockdown mm-hmm. um in with and the hobbies that i can do whilst you know adhering to all the, the normal restrictions and mm-hmm. that kind of thing <laughs> mine are very similar to jules's mine are mine are um, a mixture of highbrow and lowbrow, though. So I think um, <laughs> balance from a from a 
kind of highbrow point of view, I, I did a lot of reading. I had a lot of book clubs with friends. Um, mm. and I love to read. I don't make enough time for reading in normal life. And it's actually really fun when a group of 10 of you commit to reading something in a week, you do all read it in a week and then you read something else the next week and you mm. gradually build up this amazing library of stuff that you've got through quite quickly. And that's really, um, that's really uh, I don't know, edifying. I've really enjoyed that and read some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I've done lots of Japanese omelette cooking. That's, uh, <laughs> that's taken up six months of my life. Um, and the two other things, I uh, actually moved house oh, in okay. August. And, and before I moved house, I was living in East London in an area which I love, but I didn't know very well. Mm-hmm. I lived there for three years. And like my immediate streets, of course, I knew, but not the, like, the surrounding neighborhoods. And so I walked everywhere. And I felt that I really, by the end of five or six months of being in the same place, I could, mm-hmm. I could walk from any place to any place by the quickest method mm-hmm. and really know where the good shops were, where the good restaurants were. And I felt really, really good about that. Like I was really connected to the place where I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, the final thing, which is quite embarrassing. So I, I'm an only <laughs> child. I grew up with no brothers or sisters in the house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I, I had a lot of computer game consoles at home, oh. particularly Nintendo ones. And Nintendo released um, Mario Kart for the oh. iPhone and the iPad last year. Okay. And I'm very, very good at Mario Kart for my iPad now. I've, I've, I've really become an expert. And do you know what? It's funny because it's very easy to relegate things like computer games to kind yeah. of second degree culture. But actually, like, if you think about the level of artistry that goes into animation mm-hmm. or if you're writing, you know, a, a role-playing game, whatever, the the story that goes into it, the the soundtracks, like it is, this is all culture. Mm-hmm. And actually I think that if we can, if we can all be more, I don't know, mindful of the fact that mm-hmm. say computer games can sit side by side with film and music and literature and art, mm-hmm. I think that we will have a, a richer appreciation for everything that's being created in the world right now. So actually I say it, it this has been part of my work to be able to, to exactly. <laughs> to be able to really get really good yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know what, when you said like Nintendo, I thought you were going to say that you would play Animal Crossing. And I thought, you know, next thing we know is going to be a t- King Singer's Animal Crossing like session. <laughs> oh, oh, Animal Crossing is dangerous. I think much as I, much as I would have loved to, get involved with it i think i i know that if i start i will never stop <laughs> therefore it's just good to to, to hold that <laughs> <laughs> great um well uh, i guess we can move now to the you know the main topic that is like we can discuss today uh which is the online concert that you're going to hold uh later this week um you know aimed at japanese fans and um Finding Harmony Japan, Heiwa. Uh, so I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that. And do you have any previews on that that you can share? You know, our Finding Harmony mission globally was one that tried to show how music had an incredible power to bring people together and mm-hmm. how it's done that historically in all kinds of places all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so we created the album Finding Harmony, which we released in January, and it has music in 11 languages, um, which relate to so many different kinds of stories where music has had this power. We go to Japan now reasonably frequently again, uh, and we have strong connections to Japan. Um, and to follow on from our Reiwa concert last year, which was all about celebrating the new imperial era, which is also about harmony, we thought it would be really appropriate mm. to think about what peace and harmony might mean in Japan today and how could we 
realize that musically in a program. Mm. Uh, and so that's why we specifically, and Japan is the only country that has this, created a program which had a lot of commissioned music specifically about life in that country mm. and how music perhaps could provide a positive mm. force for good. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. And that's how it, so the, the embryo for this idea, the program started. And I think then relating it um, to Japan with its, you know, natural disasters and, mm-hmm. um, you know, really um, sort of turbulent history. And, um, you know, of course, the, you know, the two commissions do focus on um, uh, how we can hope for a better tomorrow um, through um, my, um Makiko Kinoshita's Ashtanoda, and also um, a song about um, kind of peace, you know, and perhaps some anti-nuclear sentiment um, mm-hmm. by a guy called um, Eisuke Tsuchida. Mm-hmm. I say guy, a professor of, uh, you know, <laughs> of, of, of music. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and I think those two topics are, are two of, of many which, are, which resonate in Japan, but I think particularly powerful are those, you know, you know, the... Um, the Fukushima incident in recent years, of mm. course, that's that's still very, very um, poignant today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess when we approach these two composers to ask them to write um, a piece, whatever they really liked that, that they felt, um, you know, um, truly resonated with the idea of finding harmony in Japan, mm-hmm. um, uh, which, we, of course, we then we called Heiwa, which is, you know, means peace and harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came up with these two topics. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a really fascinating uh, mini project and actually something that we've been really grateful to to have to focus on during these months of, mm-hmm. of lockdown and what otherwise might have been a bit of a bit of a, a particularly empty um, calendar for us to have actually this real focus and it, we were actually saying the other day it's just incredible how we happen to launch Finding Harmony this year when <laughs> for us you know, globally yeah. um, perhaps we're needing harmony more than ever to bring people together in this global pandemic mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's yeah it's it's been a, it's been an amazing thing to be part of and and you know we've enjoyed working sort of kind of virtually with the composers by sending them recordings of our rehearsals and they've responded mm. um having um sort of our, our japanese a japan team helping us mm-hmm. kind of curate the the program um and uh, making this saturday's broadcast and performance possible um even even yamaha music london which is a japanese mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. um allowing us to film and doing the concert from there it's just felt like a, we've, we've really felt um, blessed to have um, what feels like um, many Japanese people um, kind of supporting us and <laughs> sort of encouraging us to make this all possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're very excited and um, yeah, to, to be actually part of this as Japan Forward. And we, we do wish you the best with the next coming days. I'm sure like there's going to be lots of nervousness and um, lots of excitement, lots of mixed feelings um, going to this online concert. Um, I wanted to just maybe follow up on, could you tell us about um, the recording process of, of uh, this concert or even putting the C- CD together? Could you share us maybe some episodes of, of what happened during the recording? Well, I think the very interesting thing about recording a, a concert to go online is that you're, you're having to perform without an audience to respond to. <laughs> and that's a real mm. challenge because most of the time when you're at a concert hall, there's this amazing tension, the positive tension that exists between the audience and the people on stage. Mm. And it's that tension constantly shifting and constantly adapting um, depending on what the music is mm-hmm. or what the space is or how far through the concert you are. 
that that gives you a real energy that drives you from the beginning to the end of the, the concert. And so mm. what happens when you take that away is that you've got to find a way of generating that tension mm. um, and that shifting energy with only one party there. Yeah. And that's a brilliant challenge for us as musicians because it's saying like, can we do can we do what we claim we're able to do, but without half of the mm-hmm. half of the people in the room? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a really, really fun learning curve doing mm-hmm. doing lots of these because you realise there are moments, say, when you rely on audience laughter, and you think, okay, what do what do we do now that there's no laughter? How do we make this, how do we make, how do we how do we make this silence not seem empty, mm-hmm. but rather like a moment just to quickly gather ourselves and then move on to the next point. And that, that's really interesting because we're having to kind of reimagine little corners of pieces all the time, mm-hmm. uh, which is really exciting. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the rest of it, you know, what's interesting is that we have the benefit of going to different kinds of spaces we normally wouldn't perform in mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. too small or they're too um, uh, like rarefied in terms of their location. Like they're too, they're, you know, they're not accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're in a variety of different spaces, mm-hmm. each of which is kind of unique to this concert series and where we wouldn't otherwise be. And that's really fun because uh, most of the time, yeah, we're just in big concert halls or big churches and that's absolutely wonderful, but it's great to have some variety too. Mm-hmm. I imagine the recording process would have had a lot of challenges, uh, how um, reverb um, is a big factor in recording in churches and how you, the size of the, the room or the size of the venue plays plays a big part in how the overall sound comes out. So maybe on that point, I want to ask, what, what were some of your favorite songs or f- favorite pieces in the repertoire that you have coming up? Well, no, the uh, the point you raise about <clears throat> the recording um, challenges is, is a really good one because depending on the venue, as you say, the acoustics are different. We decided to be recorded quite close mic'd, um, which means that the microphone is quite close to us. And in a way, it therefore doesn't really matter about what the acoustic of the building is like because there can be an element of post-production done. Um, now, we're not talking about um, sort of, you know, um, auto-tuning or um, kind of changing the whole sound world, but rather <clears throat> adding a little bit of an, uh, a reverb around it, a little bit of fairy dust, whatever, whatever mm. you want to call it. Um, so um, <laughs> it meant that we could just sing, uh, you know, they're all recorded live, which means that, you know, rather than going into a studio and, you know, ed- doing lots of edits and, you know, chopping and changing everything, we were just doing, of course, the whole concert, mm. um, you know, in one go uh, and basically no room for <laughs> error or um, unhappiness. So we just know whatever came out in that moment, um, we've, you know, that's going out on the broadcast and then, of course, being um, created into this CD, from I believe last year's Rover concert. So therefore, because we weren't thinking in a more of a produced manner, but rather just a, the natural flow of a concert, it meant that we were, I think, able to enjoy um, the songs and the repertoire in a normal live concert fashion, even though, as Johnny said earlier, we didn't have really much of an audience there. Mm. Um, so for me, um, my favourite, um, I, I think I have two favourite parts of the concert. Mm. The first mm-hmm. part is actually um, the very opening song, um, Kimi Gayot. Mm. which mm-hmm. um, we sang at the opening of um, our concert last year in, in Tokyo Cathedral. Um, uh, and Princess uh, Takamaro was there. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was just an amazing feeling to sing this song, which I, you know, we realized it has, you know, it, it, I guess politically it has a, a couple of, you know, a little bit of um, controversiality around it. But, you know, in our, as artists who really appreciate music and the power of um, uniting people together, um, mm-hmm. we were sort of 
really enjoyed opening this concert just completely hands down relatively solemnly singing this national anthem and it was a really mm -hmm. powerful moment so to be able to replicate that um in in our is uh you know for, for, for this broadcast is, is amazing um and the other the other song that is i think my favorite is in fact the very last one we did which is seaside rendezvous by queen mm. um which um is a yeah, I'm sure you know it very well. It's a brilliant, uh, in this, it's an arrangement here by um, Paul Hart, who's um, mm -hmm. an arranger who's uh, written lots of music for the King Singers historically. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really fun piece. Um, it, I think for me, the close harmony um, style of music um, brings out some of our best and most fun, you know, energized singing. So um, to be able to to end the concert with that um, was really really fun and sort of brought a, a bit of a smile to us mm. and and a few people in the in the room, um, <laughs> which just just yeah it just sort of ended ended everything really nicely. Mm -hmm. I think my three favorite elements of the concert are actually all Japanese, and I think that's um, partly also because this is such a special program in which we celebrated music we don't necessarily celebrate enough. And, and that was, mm. it was really lovely to be able to give it a platform properly and then to be able to share it. Um, so the first is just the, the, the piece that you mentioned earlier, which was written by Makiko Kinoshita. Um, and she has just, it's, the, the song is all about kind of hope and it analogizes, you know, the fact that the world just keeps on turning um, and then every mm -hmm. day there's a new day because the world keeps turning and you know, why do we keep singing? It sort of says, because there's always going to be a new tomorrow and so there's always room for you to be hopeful. I think it's right. a beautiful message, but I think there's just this incredible richness that she creates in har har harmonic writing. It's like this incredible spiraling harmonic language, which is like the world turning. And it's mm. so cool. It's like, it's almost half like pop song, mm. like sort of edgy indie pop song and then also half very legitimate piece of choral music and i love that mm. um mm. so that's mm. my first thing my second is the text i mean i think um isuke chuchida's piece the girl from hiroshima is incredibly evocative and powerful mm. um mm -hmm. and i really want people to focus in on the text because it's it's spoken from the point of view of an eight-year-old girl who is dead mm. who was killed in hiroshima mm. um sort of asking for things not to happen again so that girls like her won't end up dead again and it's like it's, it's quite harrowing but it's very profound um mm -hmm. and the kind of thing that you don't normally hear in choral music it sort of belongs more in a horror film you know <laughs> so it's actually uh. like <laughs> very interesting from that point of view. Yeah, okay. and then mm -hmm. my last thing is Rusato, just because it's it's like seeing danny boy to me and you yeah. know danny boy when we sing that in in ireland mm -hmm. or in the, in, in the british isles has an incredible mm -hmm. power just to to move people to make people mm -hmm. feel um, really happy, really comforted and reminded of their childhood or their home. And I think that Hudasato has exactly the same power in Japan from what I gather. Like mm -hmm. it has the same meaning. And of course it means homeland. So it's like, even from a text point of view, it's incredibly powerful. So mm -hmm. I, I always love doing that in Japan. And for me, it's the, it's the song that gets the most kind of positive response in Japanese when we perform it. And so it's really, really special. Thank you. So yeah, maybe in closing, can you give a just quick message to the fans about the concert? How can they watch it and where can they find news? 
about it. Um, well, message to the fans. Um, <laughs> I hope you're all doing okay, uh, you know, in this bizarre world right now. Um, and I hope that by tuning into our concert, um, you can take something away from it that you might not have expected, that might bring you a little bit of joy um, and might even encourage you to sing along mm. at some point or just sing generally full stop. Um, <laughs> and of course, they can tune in on... Um, th- thanks to uh, to Sanky Shimbun and Japan Forward, they can tune in through E Plus, um, which uh, is a great online broadcasting platform. The link um, on our King Singers website on a Japan Forward article about the King Singers concert. Mm. Um, so, really hope you can tune in and do follow us on social media Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Yeah, just if, if they. People like it. If people want to share it, we would love. We would love people to um, to talk about it under the hashtag Digital Tour um, okay. and tag <laughs> us, the King Singers. It's usually just at King Singers. Um, I think what's really glorious is just the fact that we have this amazing um, pocket of fans in Japan mm. whom we usually get to see very regularly now. Um, and who are showing us great support even right now. And I just hope that this is another opportunity for us not only to connect, but also for us to show how much we value Japanese music and culture mm. and that we are committed not just to celebrating it when we're with you, but also globally. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for this, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and you. Yeah, you have, have a nice, have <laughs> a nice week and good luck this weekend. And thank you so much and have a lovely evening and um, thank you again for all your hard work in yeah. making this all possible. So Thank you. Great. Okay, thank you. All right. Take See care, you. guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. This was the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Catch you next time.